Good morning and welcome to another episode of Understanding Business. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, and this is episode 165. Today, we're very excited to have with us Michelle and Jason Barsoski. Uh, for those of you who are fans of the show Shark Tank, you'll remember seeing them and their invention, the Twin Z Pillow. They ended up making a deal with uh, Shark Lori Grenier. We're going to be talking to them today about their journey uh, you know, in an entrepreneurial world and what, what came about what happened to make them develop this product and where they are now and what hurdles they, they had to overcome and what we can learn from them. So we're going to be talking to them in just a second. But before I do, I want to thank today's sponsor. And today's show is sponsored by LawPunditsGlobal.com. Enroll for an online certificate course today and start learning law anywhere, anytime. Their courses are designed and developed by international legal experts and forerunners and will improve your professional skills and will help you carve out a better career. In fact, they offer a certified international business law analyst program. It's a six-month online course, and it deals with various legal issues and concerns that a business can face. And as businesses are going global, it's essential that managers and officers who are in charge are highly knowledgeable about the various legal issues that a business could face and address them accordingly. So this course is intended to create awareness about the essential legal aspects that a business can face in the course of its operation. And it's highly beneficial for managers, lawyers, and other advisors who aim to serve businesses operating globally. So I'd like to thank Law Pundits for sponsoring today's show. If you'd like more information about them or their certification programs, you can visit lawpunditsglobal.com, and there'll be a link in the show notes to the site. All right, I'd like to welcome Michelle and Jason to the show. Thank you guys both for taking the time out to be with us today and to share your story. Thanks, Peter. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. So, you know, you guys have a really, really great story because unlike a lot of entrepreneurs who maybe, you know, they, they planned all their lives on going out and making a business and, and, you know, they were working, but they knew they always wanted to go out and start their own business. That's not how it started for you guys, is it? No, not at all. It was purely out of necessity that, uh, that we developed the Twinsy Pillow uh, right after we had twins. So you guys, you have two twin girls, and two. you both yep, you both had jobs, full-time jobs. Yeah, yeah. We actually both had full-time jobs, and um, I developed a pillow, you know, when the girls were, were infants. And, you know, I had a lot of people say to me, you know, you really should patent that pillow. You know, I basically took the pillow with me everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, when you, have, when you have twins, you know, anything that, you know, can help you is is just fantastic. So I took it everywhere with me and I had so many people say to me, you really got to patent it. So I kind of thought about it. And then, uh, Jason and I actually ended up getting both laid off at the same time of our corporate jobs. So, you know, I thought it would be a good opportunity to stay home with the kids. You know, Jason was back out trying to find another job. And I thought at the time, you know, this was a great opportunity to, you know, try, you know, try and see what would happen if I patent the pillow and, and, you know, I actually was making them myself and, and to see if there was a market for it, and there was. Oh, that's great. Well, before we get into some of the specifics about what you did and how you did it, you know, let's just describe the pillow for a second. For those of you who haven't seen it, um, it's really a unique pregnancy pillow. I mean, my sister had twins, my wife, we've had three kids, and they've had products on the market that are pillows, but nothing as unique as the Twinsy pillow. I, For me, you know, in seeing the pillow, one of the things that I like best about it is the fact that 
you have that back support, which is really cool because it's not always easy to put one of these things around your waist and use it as a shelf without having something to lean back on. Absolutely, absolutely. That was one of the things. I was trying to find something that I could develop that would help me in multiple ways. And when you, when you have twins, you know, you buy so many products, and there's so many products on the market. And so we had two of everything. So I was like, you know, what is something that I can make that will support both the babies? And when I originally was thinking just something to sit them in, but then I thought, well, how can we make this so that we can breastfeed with it as well? And so that's kind of, that was kind of my thought process is, you know, developing a product that I could use for, for my girls that was multifunctional. Now, the first prototype, I would imagine you just sewed that on your own, created it on your own? Absolutely. I went through probably uh, 50 prototypes, if not 100 prototypes. So basically what I did was I laid out fabric, you know, on my family room floor, cut it all out, and I would just sew it, then I'd stuff it, and then I'd see how it works. It didn't work. So then I'd go again, and I'd, you know, cut it, sew it, stuff it, until I found the perfect, you know, fit for me. But then when we went to launch it, I wanted to make sure it fit all different size women. So I did a lot of variations there. But initially, I was making all of the pillows myself that I shipped to the customers. Wow. Now, let's talk for a second about this, this process. You mentioned patenting the, the idea. Uh, let's talk yes. about that for a second because there's a lot of people who have these ideas, and the thing that they miss is this idea of protecting it through, you know, some sort of intellectual property thing. So talk right. for a second. When you guys decided, all right, this is an idea we want to protect, what did you do? Did you hire a lawyer? Did you do it yourself? How did that work? We did. We, we looked at different options, and we thought going through a lawyer was best because I think you can – I think you can go to like LegalZoom or something like that to do patents, but we, we wanted to have an actual lawyer. So we actually went to a patent attorney, and the first thing we did was we filed a, um, a provisional patent, a provisional patent yeah. and then that gave us the opportunity to start selling them under protection for a, year. for a year to see if the business were to take off. And then if it were to take off, then we could file further for the actual patent. And after the first year, we saw that there was definitely a need and a market. So we went through uh, forward with the process of patenting it. That's great. Now, um, when you went to, to the Shark Tank program, were you still operating under the provisional patent, or did you have the full patent at that point? By the time we uh, taped, we actually had the actual patent. We did, yeah. And do you think that that was important in the Sharks' decision to invest in you, the fact that you had this patent? Very much so. Uh, we, we were fans of Shark Tank prior to uh, even thinking about being on the show. And one thing we noticed was their eyes would light up when, when it was something that was patented. So um, as soon as that was probably their third or fourth question to us, is it patented? Yep. And, you know, that's I – mean, you guys did your homework, and I think that it paid off because you had – well, you had at least four sharks interested in the pillow and investing did, in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you know that's nice a, about going to a, I'm sorry, but you know what was nice about going to a patent attorney as well was they see a lot of ideas come through. So they were able to give us advice on, on, on what they thought our chances of getting a patent were, what they thought of the product. So it was nice to have a person to sort of bounce ideas off of that get people coming in to see them with ideas all the time. Yes, absolutely. Now, let me ask you this, because this is a question we get frequently. 
a lot of times people, especially entrepreneurs, people developing a product, they're going to say, you know what, I don't have the money to go spend on a patent attorney. They're super expensive. What would you say to somebody who's saying, you know, I don't have the money for that? How important is it for, for you to have gone to this attorney? Was there, you know, I'm sure you had to budget. So did you, did you take money from something else because you knew how important a patent was? What, what advice would you give to people about that? We did. So we had, you know, when we both got laid off, basically we had no income coming in. And we, so we cashed in uh, my 401k, which was, you know, totally against everything that we, you know, thought we should do. But at the same time, we really believed in the product. Um, so we did cash in the 401k and, you know, put that money towards the lawyer. I will say, I think protecting your product is so important. I mean, we've already had, you know, somebody come after after our patent, and we, you know, went back and, and fought it, and, and they had to back down. So I think it's I think it's very important. Um, but I think it's also really good to have a good patent attorney because, from what I understand, is you can get you can get a patent, but you want a really good patent that really has, you know, the backing so that it does protect you completely. Right. I think you guys certainly did the right thing there, and, and I think people that, you know, they think, oh, you know, I'll do that on the back end. That's the mistake that a lot of them make, a lot of entrepreneurs make, and a lot of the ventures make. Go and take the money, put it up front yeah. to protect your idea, because if somebody takes your idea, no matter how great it is, you're going to miss out. You're going to lose all the money that you could have made on your invention. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Something, something important to note, I think, I think filing the provisional patent was probably only around $2,000 or $2,500. And what the lawyer had said was, you might as well spend this money, go out and wait a year, see how it does. Then, you, then when you start to file the patent, it gets a little bit more pricey. But then you know you actually have money coming in uh, from selling the product. So that was great advice that we got from the attorney as well, was file the provisional. You have a year to sort of ramp up and see how you can do and then, and then move forward. That's going to cost you a little bit more money. Yeah, but that is good advice because you're able to test the market and see if it's worth you know, what you think it is and then go from there. So you know, that, was, that was good advice. Now, yeah. when you started selling the product you said michelle that you were making it still on your own in your house how did the first few months of actually selling the product go i mean were you overwhelmed with orders how did you handle all that no i think it was super slow and i think that's one of the things i've learned is that you know you may have an idea and you may think like right away you're going to be swamped with orders i think you have to build the brand build the you know build the customer base and we did it through all online, which I always say is an amazing way to launch a business nowadays. Anybody can sell anything with the internet, so and inexpensively. Um, I was yeah, so so basically, I was cutting, sewing, stuffing them, and shipping them, and I would do like one every couple weeks, and then one every other day, and then one a day, and then when I got to two a day is when I said I've got to find manufacturing. So. You know, it wasn't like this huge, everybody wants your product right away. It, you know, it, it took us a while, and, and we really had to do, you know, a lot of advertising, a lot of social media to get where we are. It was funny. I, I would come home from work, and Michelle would have a big smile on her face, and she'd say, I got, an, I got two orders today, so you got to take the kids. I'm going in the basement. <laughs> so she would she'd go down there and make them. And, uh, I mean, she had, she had the kids helping stuff these pillows sometimes at one point. It was pretty funny, but... 
social media and building that fan base and connecting with twin families was a huge part of uh, getting our business going. I can't say enough about social media. Yeah, and you know, I think I think in this day and age, if you're not utilizing social media and utilizing it the correct way, I think you're missing out because, like you said, Michelle, you can sell just about anything online so long as it's good quality and you have att attracted the right customer or fan base. So right. you know, social media is is free. When in those early days, when you're you know down in the basement, you've got the kids stuffing the pillows. Um, what would you say your advertising budget was? Did you have a lot of money in advertising, or was it all free social media? No. So that is one of the things that we learned very early on. So we did basically social media. Um, I went to a lot of the mommy bloggers, and there's a ton of them out there. And basically, they would I'd send them free product. They'd do a review on it, and it would start ranking on Google. So that was basically free for us. We did start, because we didn't know any better, to do some magazine ads. That did nothing for us. It was super expensive. And, you know, I can't say enough how that did not help us. But uh, even to this day, I mean, honestly, we do not spend hardly any on advertising budget. I mean, we do everything through social media, everything through our mommy bloggers. We do a lot of, you know, giveaways, um, like our new product, the, the onesie pillow that's out there now. We give a lot of those away just so that the word can get out there. And for us, that's a lot less expensive than an ad in a magazine. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that, you know, you've hit on like the magic formula because I think so many people, uh, especially in professions like, you know, accountant or lawyer or, you know, somebody who has this grand idea of taking a product and marketing it, their idea is, all right, we've got to get in newspapers and magazines and television and radio. And your experience with, with magazines is what I think most people today find. And it, it doesn't help. And it's super expensive. So to have the wherewithal to say this isn't working and to move from that back to what you were originally doing was huge. How did you come up with the idea um, to give away product to the bloggers? Because that's a great idea. Um, I don't know. I think we had started with the twin groups. So, you know, there's a lot of, across the country, twin groups, organizations um, that get together and all the moms talk about, you know, all the ups and downs of having twins and that kind of thing. They're all over the country. So I guess our first thought was, like, go to those groups and see if we can do door prizes, if we can do, like, any sort of event where we can leave the pillow where the moms can touch it and feel it and see it because selling online they don't actually get to see the product, touch the product, and all that. So that was one of the ways. And then I think we just kind of realized that they were really doing a lot of plugs for us. Like they would put, because we were giving free product to them, that they, you know, post all of the stuff on their social media. So we were like, well, who else will post about the pillow and give us great advertising if we get products away? And somehow we had, you know, hit on the mommy bloggers. I don't know if somebody had... Give us, I, I do remember one thing. All of a sudden, one out of the blue one day, Michelle got like three or four orders. And she saw that she was getting a bunch of hits on her website. And she clicked on the link that it was the referring link. And someone right. had just randomly done a review on the product. And they had posted it online. And all of a sudden, we're getting all of this traffic. And Michelle was like, ding, 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 oh, that's, that's right. what yeah. we got to do. Yeah. We got to get people to review the product and do blogs on it. Yep. Yeah, you know, one thing that I think we can take away from what your experience has been with that is 
that you guys listen to the market, you listen to you know what was going on. A lot of times entrepreneurs, they put blinders on and they say, this is what I'm doing. But both with the magazine where you realized, all right, this isn't working, so we're going to change to something else, and with the ability to listen to the, the bloggers. I mean, a lot of people would overlook that, and they'd say, oh, I got a review, somebody reviewed it, and it wouldn't go any further. But to be aware of what's going on, I think was very important to help you get to where you are today. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, even if you have a blogger that may not even have a huge following, they have other followers within there. I mean, the the way that, you know, people spread the word is just amazing over the Internet. So, you know, we never overlook somebody that may just have small followers as well, um, you know, because it, it just spreads the way the Internet is. And there's so yeah. much different social media. It's funny. We were, we're, we're, we were a force on Facebook for a long time, and then just recently we were introduced to a great mommy blogger, and she's got a great following, and she did a giveaway for us, and she put it onto Instagram, and as soon as she said, like these people on Instagram, I mean, her followers on her Instagram account quadrupled immediately. Wow. Yeah, she's a, she's a blogger now. She's a bigger blogger. Her, her blog is Birth Without Fear, and she's got a ton of followers. And so we did, you know, we did do some paid advertising a little bit, but she had the advertising with her, but she had the product and reviewed the product absolutely on her own. And, um, you know, that was fantastic because she loved the product. And that's the thing. We want real reviews. We want moms who have tried the product, moms who, you know, who love the product that can really speak to it and speak to, you know, the customers so that, you know, it's a, it's a real review. Right. Absolutely. Oh, that, that's a very important point that you make because so many times people will go out and there's all these places where you can buy reviews and buy followers and that does absolutely nothing for you. In fact, in my opinion, I think it hurts you. Um, were you ever in a situation where somebody was offering to uh, sell you reviews and feedback? I don't think I've ever been in a position where they've offered it, but, you know, you can get your, your Facebook followers, you know, by, by increasing things. And originally we were trying to get our Facebook followers up. And like you said, so we would, you know, try to, you know, pay, do some paid advertising through that. But you, they're not really engaged followers. And so that's really what matters is to have yeah. a follower that really is engaged. And so we just realized that, you know, for us, it was getting those real people who really wanted to like our page. And, you know, our page probably right now has about 6,500 you know, on Facebook. We could probably have 100,000, but if they're not engaged users, it really means nothing. Or if they're not engaged. Yeah, it, that's the key term that everyone, I think, overlooks. If you don't have engaged fans who are going to comment on your products, give you feedback, and make purchases – then who cares how many people like your page? It doesn't make a difference. They're just there. No. People people literally, I believe, buy likes for their Facebook page. And you can have 100,000 likes on your Facebook page, like Michelle just said, but if they're not engaged or they're not even someone who's interested or has in your product at all, what what's the point? Exactly. And that's one, one thing that we really love about our Facebook and now our Instagram, too, is that I feel like we have a network of moms now, and it's really been great because a lot of moms will have questions for other moms. 
And so we post them on there, and it's just it's great for other moms to be able to use us as a platform to engage each other and ask different questions. And now we have that on Instagram as well, and it's just it's really cool to be able to you know to help other moms and you know just to kind of facilitate that. Oh, it's great! It's great, and I think that what you were hitting on earlier the fact that maybe you have 6,000 followers. You know, maybe a business could have 100 followers, but if 100 followers are going to make purchases, that's worth more than 1,000 followers who don't want to buy anything. Correct. Absolutely. And you want those 100 to tell another 100 people. Yep. Tell another 100 people. So I wanted to make one other point, too, about how inexpensively sometimes you can do things where sometimes people will spend a lot, money, a lot more money than they need to. Michelle actually taught herself coding and how to develop the very first website we had. Michelle spent $40 on software, sat in that basement where she would stuff pillows, and literally taught herself to build her website for $40. Wow. Well, that's, a lot that's... of people will, will get bought, get buy into all of these companies saying, we can design your webpage for thousands of dollars. Not worth it. No, that's but I, absolutely but I will... But ahead, that Michelle. being said, at the, at the same time, you know, I don't want people to think that it's very hard to go out and do that yourself because I did have to teach myself coding for our initial website, but now there's so many different softwares out there. Like we use Big Commerce, I know there's Shopify. There's a lot of different um, companies out there that have templates that are already made, and you can basically put your website into those, you know, your pictures and your shopping cart is all integrated in that, to that. So it's so, I, I think it's so easy now for people to be able to start their own web page. You don't have to know coding. Um, and it's just, now there's a lot of resources out for, for new entrepreneurs. That's true. That's, it's definitely true. And I know that there were a lot of people who I've seen that would say, oh, you know, I've got this offer $200,000 to build a website, and it's crazy to spend that money. And so it's important what you're saying, and, and the resources are there now so that you can do it. But what's important about you and a lesson that people can learn is you can never stop learning as an entrepreneur. And if you need to do something, there are so many resources available on YouTube and on other websites. You can teach yourself to do anything. You can learn anything that you put your mind to it. But I think the fact that you were aware that you needed to learn how to do this is a credit to you and something that, you know, shows the importance of ongoing learning, no matter how old, how successful, how long you've been doing something. Do you, what do you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think for sure. And I think when you go back to starting a business and costs, I think our biggest thing is we didn't want or we didn't have completely the resources to spend a ton of money. And I think a lot of people think that they need a lot of money to start a business. You don't need a lot of money, but you need a lot of time and dedication and a lot of patience because you can't just, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, I have an idea and I just want to go for it. But it is a ton of work, a ton of hard work, but it doesn't have to cost a lot. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, let's talk for a second about that hard work because you're right. So many people think, oh, I'm just going to sell this product and do it. And then I think they think to themselves, well, you know, I'm going to have all this free time on my hands. It's going to be great. I'm going to be working for myself. And I see that a lot with younger people. But talk for a second about the stress, if any, that it, it created having this business between you guys because you were married and a lot of times entrepreneurs – they, they're starting earlier. They're starting when they're single. 
And I think that there are unique challenges with a husband and wife duo and starting a business. Did you guys have any, have any challenges with your relationship as you were building the company? Um, I don't, I think, you know, I think we complement each other very well, but that being said, we each have our own duties. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we, you know, you know, like any husband and wife, you can go kind of drive each other crazy. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes he does stand behind me <laughs> in my chair and my desk and I say, you need to go away. But, <laughs> but he's awesome. I mean, he comes, he's come up with so many great ideas and he just, he, we just, we have different roles and that's kind of how we've said, you know, this is your role, this is my role, and then when we need to do things, you know, for the business together, I, I think we work really well together. I think we have a common goal, um, you know, so when it comes to that, I think I think we do pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's, that's really good to hear. I think that sometimes if you have one person in a relationship that has this idea to become an entrepreneur, sometimes that, you know, whole stress is, is just so difficult for the other spouse to deal with and the fear and uncertainty. So you guys seem to have worked together and, and sort of segmented the, the roles and responsibilities, which is great. But let's talk for a second about fear because fear is a big driving force for an entrepreneur. Fear can help motivate you, but it can also be uh, a deterrent. And a lot of people who have a great idea, they don't want to move forward because they're afraid of failing. They're afraid of not being able to make a living. You guys had to have at some point dealt with that. What? What? How did you get over the fear? Well, I think absolutely. I think I think the biggest thing is financially keeping yourself in a good place. I mean, Jason still has a full time job, so we haven't taken that full leap to have him come on on board for for the business full time, because I think we're very conservative. I think the big thing is not just quitting your day job. I mean, I think. If you start slow, you can, and, and this is where it comes into a lot of work. I mean, if you have a full-time job, you know, at the time I, had, I, was, I was raising the kids and they were tiny, and then at nighttime is basically when I was working. So, you know, I would bust my butt at nighttime and be totally exhausted um, just to get the business up and going. But, you know, most people just can't quit their day job until they get to a certain point. And then even now, I mean, we're at a fantastic point, and we still haven't taken that leap to have to have Jason quit his job. But I think it's just being smart about your money and being, um, you know, you can do it on the side until you're sure that it can financially support you. Right. Now, with respect to, to fear in general, there had to be some point where maybe things weren't going as well as you had hoped. Did you ever have doubt and say to yourself, well, maybe this isn't going to work? Oh, I think definitely. I think you always kind of wonder, like, do they love the product as much as you love the product? And, and I think it, it took me a long time to realize, you know, people really do love this product. And, and it did take some back and forth, too. Like, you know, we had people say, well, you know, we like the buckle here, or, or what about this, or what about that? And so there are a lot of adjustments to uh, to the product as time goes by. So I think every time I would have like feedback, I take it personally and I think, Oh my gosh, they don't like the product. But right. I think as you go on and you feel more confident in your product and you sell more, then you feel, you know, a lot more secure about what you're doing and more confident. I think my, you know, our biggest fear was always money. So I think, you know, it, as long as we kept, you know, kept our house and our mortgage paid, you know, we were good, I think. So that was our biggest fear, I think, is, is right. financially being okay. 
Right. Now, you talk about feedback. How important is feedback to you as the product develops and, and as you move forward with the company? Tremendous. Feedback has been the reason why we've been so successful. Absolutely. I mean, we'll get feedback on everything. We'll get feedback on whether we should sell something else. We'll get feedback on our website. We get and we make changes based on if we see enough feedback going a certain way. We will we will absolutely adjust um, and make changes for sure. You need to be open to that. If you're not open to that and you've decided this is the way you're going to do it, you're never going to be successful. Yeah, it's true. And and listening to feedback is is critical. I in my opinion, and I want to see what you guys think. I don't think that there's any bad feedback. Even if somebody is a hater and they're giving you something nasty, you can still extract something positive from that, I think. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We always ask, you know, if there's a reason that somebody is returning something, we want to know why. Like, you know, what is it that is is the problem? And from, you know, and from that we have gotten some great, you know, great feedback. And from that was born our new product, which the onesie pillow, because we had so much feedback that, you know, twin moms were saying, we would love this when we have our next baby. You know, are you, do you have a product for one? And, and that's basically how our next product got born. And then the next one was the, the pillow that we now have, um, the support pillow for elderly, because we had so much feedback from, from people that they wanted something, you know, while they were watching TV, you know, while they were on their Kindles or on their phones. And, you know, there's a huge population of, of elderly out there now. So, you know, this pillow has so many, the, the onesie pillow, the new one, um, has so many functions that, you know, it kind of expands the market if, if you listen to your customers. You said it there. You've got to listen to your customers because if you don't listen to your customers, then you're just going to move forward. I mean, you guys would still just be focused on the twinsie pillow and be missing out on this other market of other people if you didn't listen. So you did a, a great job with that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, you know, there is how many babies born? Two million every year. And the, and the elderly population or the senior population, I think, is like 50 million in the U.S., yeah, so listening to your customers, it was super important for you. It helped you develop a new product, and uh, I think that that's a very important lesson for people to take away. Now, what other advice would you give in general to somebody looking to start a business, they want to become an entrepreneur? What advice would you guys give to somebody like that? Um, I think I've been asked that a bunch of times now, and I think my biggest thing is, just to realize how much work, first of all, it's going to take. Like, literally, we work so much more than I've ever worked at any day job. It takes so much work, but also trying to test the market before you put all of the money out there. Because I think, you know, there's so many different products, and just because, you know, we've tried other different things in between, and, you know, certain things that we thought, oh, my gosh, this is totally a hit, has not been a hit. So, you know, just different patterns or different, you know, different things with the Twinsy Pillow. And so I think, you know, just because you think it's a great product and know nobody wants to hear that, but, you know, it may not be a great product for the market. So I think not spending a lot of money. And I think everything that you can do on your own, advertising, website design, you know, shipping, everything yourself, don't hire a ton. I mean, we still don't have a ton of people that we've hired, but try to keep it conservative until you're really sure that there's a that there's a market for it right Jason what about you no I, I would I would second that for sure I think just I think there's a lot more time in the day than people think they have I mean like Michelle was saying 
she would take care of the kids all day, and then I would come home, and she would work all night stuffing the pillows and doing stuff on the website and doing stuff on social media. And there are a lot of hours in the day, and I think being able to commit, if you're really believing in that product, commit every ounce of time that you have when you're not doing something else to that, and I think uh, you can make it happen. And I think you've got passion behind it because in order to get yourself motivated after taking care of two kids all day long, you must have had passion about what you're doing in order to be yeah. able to, to muster absolutely. up the energy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, yeah. Now, how did the Shark Tank thing come about? Did they contact you or did you contact them? No, so we had uh, Jason's boss actually had, had called him and said, you know, hey, there's an open casting call in Boston. And we were like, oh, you know, I had talked about it before. And uh, so we decided to go last, I guess it was last February. and Or was it March? April. That was April. Okay. It all runs together. Um, <laughs> last April. <laughs> and basically stood outside. And it was, what, zero degrees outside, I think? It was, like it was 20 degrees. 20 degrees. Like zero. It felt like zero. Yeah, yeah. It was 20 degrees. <laughs> and we had to stand in line. And we had, you know, snow, basically snowsuits and sub-zero sleeping bags and all that. And you go in and you give your, you know, your 60-second pitch, and we went in, give the 60-second pitch, and then you Well, get... it's more to that. You're literally laying on the street with all these other people to get a bracelet. The <laughs> morning comes, and you literally are outside, outside, outside. They open the door, you walk in, and you literally have 60 seconds to present your idea, and then you just leave. And, then, and it's, we'll call you, don't call us. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, Yeah. So you yeah, have to be so, on. Then, you have to know what you're talking about in that 60 seconds, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I take it you guys were ready. Did you rehearse before you went in? You knew what you were going to present? We, we did. We, we rehearsed like it was a play. Yeah. It beat into my head the whole... <laughs> yeah. We did, yeah. Yeah, it was. But that's the, like I said before, it's 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 the time and effort. If you really believe in something, you need to put in all of that time and all of that effort. I mean, you have one minute. You have one minute to get on the show. You know, so you you got to put a lot of time and effort into that. And that one minute could make or break your future for some people. And it's, it doesn't Absolutely. necessarily have to just be about Shark Tank. You don't know when no. an opportunity is going to arise, and if you're not ready, you could lose that opportunity. Correct. Absolutely. And even like even in talking to just random people, you never know who you're talking to. So, I mean, we always try to, you know, to, to be really, you know, cordial to everybody and, and just realize that, you know, you just never know who you're talking to. <laughs> right. Now, after you went in and presented, obviously they called you back at some point? They did, yeah. And it was a very long process. I don't know if, if people have, you know, talked to you about it before, but... Um, the process is very long, you know, it's every step of the way, it's basically like you do one more step, you know, they ask for a video role play or they ask for a business plan or they ask for another video role play, Financial. financials, and then, you know, along the way, it's a, it's a long process. So yeah, All the way along the way, they say, there's no guarantee that you're going to tape, there's no guarantee you're going to tape. So you're doing all of these things with zero guarantee whatsoever. Yeah. And for us, you know, it, it was okay for us because we didn't need Shark Tank. Like, you know, we had a, we had a good business at that time. We, we were doing well. So for us, you know, we kind of said, well, you know, if we get on, that's great. You know, it's not going to make or break our business, but, but it was fantastic for our business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, right. yeah so we, we, we were very happy that we did it. 
Now, I, I, I ask this question to a lot of people who are on the show, and I get varied responses, and I'd like to see what yours is. When you decided, all right, we're going to do this, did you have the idea in your head, we need an investment, or did you think this is a great way to promote our product, or both? I think we definitely wanted an investment. So our thing is we were trying to decide whether we wanted to go the retail route. And we knew that I, did, I didn't have the education for the retail route. I mean, I've taught myself all the way up until now. But when you go into you know, negotiations with big box retailers, I mean, that's a whole other level. So for us, I was going in with the hopes that they would give us advice, is retail the way to go? And if it is, we really wanted a deal. So, you know, that's kind of – and it was funny because – Half the sharks said, do not do retail. The other half said, do retail. So it was kind of, it was funny because we thought it would be across the board, like, one way or another, and it really wasn't. Right. At, that, at that point in the business, it, Michelle was not looking for a financial investment. She was, I think, if, if it came down to it, she was really looking for a mentor. She was looking mm -hmm. for somebody to sort of... Uh, you know, have a piece of the business, have a piece of the pie to sort of help her along. But like she said, she was thinking retail, not thinking retail. So that we definitely, when we went on that show, we're looking for somebody to partner with. And and what's so important is is the point that you make concerning a mentor. You did as much as you could do. And I think that there comes a point in every entrepreneur's life where they say, all right, now I need somebody else to guide me. I've done all I right. can. And, and knowing that and acknowledging that is important. And then you went to some of the best and brightest in order to get that help, which was great. Right. Now, right. When, you're, when you're preparing for the show, the actual presentation before the Sharks, you guys, you knew what you were talking about. And you're being fans of the show. You've seen those people who have come on the show that have no idea what they do, right. what they make, who they sell to. And you know darn well they're not going to get a deal. How much time right. and effort did you guys put into preparing for the actual presentation? I think, you know, when it comes to the pitch, like the 60 seconds, you know, we practiced that a thousand times. Oh, so yeah. I think that part of it we practiced a thousand times. But to be honest, we didn't, we have watched the show, but, and we went over a couple questions, but we knew our business in and out. I mean, there was nothing that they could ask us. You know, yes, we, we brushed up on our financials, so we knew the exact numbers, the exact number. But we knew the business so well that there wasn't any question that they could ask us that we would have had to re rehearse, right. you know, because we, we just knew it all. So it was e that part of it was easy for us. I think the hard part was just making sure we perfected the pitch. Correct. Right. Now, that's something that so many people overlook. You have to know your business if you want to succeed. If you don't know what you're doing, I mean, you can't wait for a show like Shark Tank to figure out what your business is doing because you, you're not right. going to be – on that path to success, which one of you is really the analytical financial person behind the business? I would say Jason for sure. <laughs> he, he is for sure. He's, he's got the, the, the numbers in his mind. <laughs> I have too many numbers in my mind. <laughs> so, so Michelle has the fun part and you get stuck with the numbers. Well, I like, yeah, I like to do the design part and I like to do, you know, the new products and the colors and talk to the customers and yeah. Right. And I'm but the one standing behind her saying, why did that cost that much money? <laughs> <laughs> but even if you guys weren't married and you were just business partners, the, the idea that you put into play of separating responsibilities, I think it becomes hard for someone who's trying to build a business to do everything. You can't be 
the creative force, the social media, the advertising, and then, you know, spend time on the numbers as well once you get to a certain level. And I think it's, it's right. good the way that you delegated that responsibility. Yeah, now, we just started doing that, actually. We, you know, last, last year when we got big enough, it was kind of we, we hit a point where, you know, he was still working full time and I was, I was killing myself. And so basically I was like, okay, now we, we have, and I think that's what a lot of probably entrepreneurs do is you push yourself to you can't get to a point, like even when I was making them myself, you know, you push yourself so far and then it's like, I have to get manufacturing. So I think if, if I would have done things again, I would have said, okay, we're nearing this point, we need help in this, or we're nearing this point in this, instead of, you know, killing myself to do every single aspect of the business. Right. Now, you ended up getting four sharks interested in, in the pillow. Were you surprised that you had so much interest, or did you expect it? We thought we may get a little bit of interest. We did not, um, we did not expect to get uh, them fighting over us like they did. And ultimately, Lori makes the deal with you. And, and Jason, you did a good job on the show of thinking on your feet and coming back with a counter that worked for you. You guys stood your ground and made sure that you were, were taking away something that was going to be positive. So you did a good job. And I know a lot of people, they, they get flustered when it comes to the counter. Um, working with Lori, how has that been and how has that changed your business? Well... Sadly, uh, we actually never ended up closing that deal with Lori. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. There so, were some negotiations back and forth yeah. that happened after the show, and by the time I think it had been six months since we had taped when the final negotiations were taking place, and uh, the deal was not exactly what we had agreed to on the show, and our business had already grown further than that, so we ended up not. Um, making a deal, and was it was it mutual, or did you say, "Look, there, you know, this isn't what we wanted, and, and we're not going to just, you know, give away things that we want to keep." How did that work yeah, out? Was it mutual? I, I, think, I think it was mutual. Yeah, I mean, she wanted to change it a little bit, and we just knew that it was worth a lot more than that at that point. Right. And so, if if we were going, you know, we would have been going the other way than exactly. she was. Oh yeah, Lori and her husband were. They were great. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was mutual, and, you know, we, I mean, we really couldn't be happier. I mean, and at the end of the day, I think that a lot of what, of what Lori's strong suit is is retail, and at that point we were realizing that we probably were not going to do, go down the road of retail either, so it wasn't going to be a perfect fit, I think. Right. But, you know, you, know, it, it, you can't say a, a, a enough about the fact that you didn't just say, yeah, okay, we'll do it. I mean, to... To think and have the wherewithal to say, listen, this isn't the direction that we want to take the company in, even though here you are face-to-face -face with somebody that has a lot of experience, to know your business and to know what you want out of it is such a credit to you. I mean, that's really something that's important for people to understand. That Don't was, just that was give very, away. That was, that was very hard. That was the strangest, <laughs> hardest decision we've ever, ever made with our company because you're literally being offered something from someone who you respect and I wanted to deal with. And you're, then you're looking from a financial standpoint at your business. You're looking at where you're going, where you want to be going. And to make that decision, it's almost like something that we've always wanted. Now we're turning it down. It was extremely hard. It was very hard. Very hard.
And I can only imagine, but you know, you stood your ground and that's so important because just because somebody wants to help you or give you advice or give you money doesn't necessarily mean that you should take it because it might be opposite of the vision that you have for the company. And I think that entrepreneurs always have to remember that you guys are the ones that created the company. It was your idea, your vision, and right. don't just give it away. Well, Michelle would make a statement, and, and this is, I think, very important. She, she made a statement of, like, what, let's do what's right for the business, exactly. not what's right for us. So you're almost treating, we were almost treating like our company like as a, its own person, its own, your own little baby. So you start making decisions based on that, not on your own wants or needs, I think. Absolutely. I really wanted to work with Lori. I would have loved to work with Barbara, too. So I really wanted that, but that's exactly it. We said, okay, let's sit down. Where is the business now? It's grown so much. So what is the best thing for the business? And that, that was the hardest thing. Yeah. Now, what's great about your story is that you built a good business before you even went on the Shark Tank. And, you know, you had success and, and here you are, you're getting more orders and then you go on Shark Tank. And even though you didn't close the deal, I would imagine that you ended up getting a lot of interest and publicity from Shark Tank. Did you notice a spike in interest after the show? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. We can't, I mean, we are so grateful for, for being on there. It was fantastic for the business. You know, we're, we're going to do well over what we expected this year. That's great. That's great. And so now you guys have a, a, a manufacturer, or how, how does it all work now? Because I can't imagine you're making all these pillows in your basement still. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> we've had we've had a manufacturer for for about two two years, two and a half years. Yeah, yeah two and a half years now. Um, so we ended up we did switch manufacturers. So in, right after Shark Tank, two or three times we've changed. Yeah, yeah, and that's I'll say that's one of the biggest challenges um, we have faced is finding good manufacturing because we really wanted to find a. Uh, we wanted to make a good quality product in the U.S., and, and that's a huge challenge. Now, who who did that for you? How did you come up? Because I know a lot of people will say, I've got this product, I've got this prototype. How do I take it from what I've done in my basement and get it to somebody that can make it for me? How did you guys figure that all out? A lot of, a lot of Internet searching, a lot of phone calls, a lot of prototypes, a lot of stuff mailing back and forth, um, just finding the right fit for us. Yeah, and I think, you know, to keep a product in the U.S. is a challenge in itself. So, you know, yeah. our product is, is more expensive than other products on the market. And so we had to determine, you know, were we willing to go to China? And, and we had tried some prototypes there, and the quality came back horrible. So, you know, I really wanted to give moms a good quality product, but we do need to keep it more expensive. So I think, you know, most of our customers, I think, realize that. And our product lasts many years, whereas some, you wash it, you know, you can wash the cover and it falls apart. So I think that was the biggest challenge and just really finding good quality manufacturing in the U.S. And unfortunately, it's really hard because, you know, everything's overseas nowadays. Yeah. And the cost is a lot more. So we have, you know, we've given up certain things to be able to keep a good quality product in the U.S. But like you said, I mean, I, I think that the quality is something of value to people who are looking for a product, especially, you know, baby products, because you don't want to buy something that you're going to have to buy another one of in six months. And so quality, I think, is something that people look for, not just oh, what's the cheapest. I mean, I think it's important to provide quality content, quality product, 
And so your, your decision to stick with the U.S. manufacturing, I think, is a great one. And I, I know from other people that I've discussed with how difficult it is. Uh, who handled most of the negotiations, Jason or, or you, Michelle? Uh, for the for our manufacturer, yeah, I think both of us. I think you know he does. Uh, it, it's flip flopped back. You know, over the couple of years, I yeah. think it's gone back and forth. Started out, I would do a lot of it, and then Michelle started doing some some of it, getting more comfortable with it. So yeah, it definitely whoever has has time to because um, it's it's an ongoing it's an ongoing negotiation, especially when you launch new products and you know what I mean. You so it's ongoing. Have you guys? learned a ton since you first started this? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, I have learned things that I never even knew I didn't know. I mean, like, I never thought. I think like, there's just so much. There's so many aspects to a business that, you know, I thought it was just the product part, but there's just, you know, your financials and your CPA and your Internet and all, all the backings to, you know, web design and SEO, and it's just it's so much more than I ever thought it was. <laughs> How much do you guys do still on your own? Do you have a team or employees? How much do you guys still do on your own? Uh, we're sitting outside of our warehouse right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, yeah, looking at the kids, watching the kids. Um, <laughs> so we do, we do almost everything ourselves. Um, I have one girl um, that's up in New Hampshire that is – she is awesome. She does. She's like my right hand man. I mean, she's awesome. She does um, a lot of our um, talking to our customers, a lot of our shipping stuff. I couldn't be where I am without her. Um, but it's basically me, her, and Jason. And then we've got a couple of part-time employees in the warehouse. In the warehouse, and that's it. You right. know, it's it's us. So you guys are a, a great example of keeping it lean and being able to make a profit and be successful without having a super huge payroll. So, I mean, that's something that I think people need to understand. Have you ever outsourced to, you know, anyone uh, employee-wise, or how, how, do you, how do you keep your employees? Aside from, like, for example, the girl that's in New Hampshire, how does that work for you? Uh, she's an employee with us, and, and she's, she was basically a stay-at-home mom. She was my very good friend, and I was looking for some help, and she just said, you know, hey, I'm here, and so it, it has worked fantastic. She is way overqualified. She's an engineer, yeah. but she's a stay-at-home mom, so she's super smart. And um, it, it works out for her because she's got the flexibility, and then it works out for us, you know, because we're still a small company. So it, it's worked out great. But, I mean, as far as everything else, we we are in here, you know, anywhere between, you know, 8 and 12 hours between the warehouse and, and at home working. Yeah. So, so the, the pillows are manufactured in one, in, in one part of the state, the covers are manufactured in another part of the state, and then they're all sent to our centralized warehouse. And uh, basically, Michelle does the pick, pack, and shipping every day. Wow. Wow. Well, look, I mean, you guys are doing so much right, and there's so many lessons that I think people can take away from, from our discussion today. You, you guys are, are pretty inspirational because – you just, you, it just so many things that you've done right and the hard work. And I think it's great. And I, I really, I wish you continued success. But before I let you go, let's talk for a minute about your product, about some of the new things. Because you mentioned some of the new pillows. Um, first of all, tell, tell people where they can find your product, where they can get in touch with you if they have questions for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Twinsy Pillow, which is, you know, our, our main product for twins, it can be, it's twinsypillow.com. It's T-W-I-N-Z pillow, P-I-L-L-O-W.com. And then the new pillow is for all moms with one baby, and it's basically a very similar pillow to the Twinsy Pillow. It's got the full integrated back support, but it's just for moms with one. It's a little bit smaller, and that's at onesypillow.com. It's O-N-E-Z, pillow, P-I-L-L-O-W.com. And then we just launched, um, which is very similar to the onesie, is the Elder Pillow. And that can be found on Amazon. Uh, we, we don't have a website up for that one. It's so new. But, um, but yeah, so those are the three we have. And, um, you know, we, we love to hear back from all, you know, all of our customers and, you know, anyone that's interested. Well, that's great. And uh, are there links to your social media pages on the website? There, there is, yep, yep, and it's Twinsy Pillow on Facebook, Onesie Pillow on Facebook, and then, um, yeah, I think the Twitter. At Twinsy Pillow is uh, at, at or, Twitter okay. at Twinsy Pillow and at Onesie Pillow. Oh, that's great! I want to thank both of you, Michelle and Jason, for being on today, for taking the time, and you gave so much of yourselves and so much insight into what your experience as entrepreneurs have been thus far. And uh, we have had a lot of questions come in. I didn't want to interrupt what we were talking about. So if you'd be interested, maybe you could come back on in a, a month or so and try to get through some of the questions that we had for you. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, that would be great. Thank you guys so much. I wish you continued success. We'll talk to you soon. We'll get you back on so you can ask the questions. Thank you so much. Thanks, Peter. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. So uh, I think personally, great, great, amounts of information from this interview today. Um, some of the things that, that we talked about, I, I couldn't say enough about the way that they handle themselves. The fact that they're still working hard in this idea of hard work. We've talked about it before on the show with other people, but to see the hard work in play, to be a mom, to have two kids, and then to work at night to get your product up and running and to get it out and to sew and stuff and create you know, that, that says a lot about what it takes to succeed. And they did everything right from the beginning with respect to their intellectual property and protecting what they had, because I think that's really important. You can't go out and start pushing your product or even try to get a manufacturer, in my opinion, without having some protection. But uh, I was actually surprised to hear that the deal that they made on TV fell through and that's another really important lesson. They didn't just say, well, we really want to work with Lori and we're going to just do what she wants. They had this vision. And fans of uh, Shark Tank, you'll see a lot of times where maybe an offer will be made and it's not the offer that the entrepreneur wants to accept because it's uh, sort of it goes away from the direction or their vision. And they say no and they still become successful. And I think that having the courage to know what you want out of your business and to say no to somebody like Lori, uh, I think is a tremendous uh, thing to, to, to learn and to be able to do. You know, they knew what they wanted and they didn't say, well, well, this would be great and I really want to work with Lori, so let's just do it. They stuck to their beliefs. And that's really important because as you go through your journey as an entrepreneur, whether it's a product or a service, um, or a website, or whatever it is that you are creating, selling, marketing, 
you are going to have naysayers. You're going to have people that want to take your product into a different direction. You're going to have people that tell you that you could do more if you do it this way or that way or my way. And you have to remember that this is your company, your product. And I am a huge believer in listening to other people and getting feedback and not recreating the wheel, learning from the experiences and lessons that others can teach us, which is why we have this show, Understanding Business, because we can learn so much from these entrepreneurs, these successful people who have been there and done it. And I'm a big believer in that, but I'm also an even bigger believer in sticking to your beliefs. If you believe in something, then don't give up on it. If you have a passion, then just keep pushing forward. You might have to make adjustments. You might have to be able to take the feedback coming in and say, I want it to go this way, but it's not working out. And I'm listening to my customers. I'm listening to the people around me who see my product, see my service, and I know that I should make adjustments. That's what you should be doing, but don't lose the passion. Don't lose the desire. And it doesn't make a difference whether you're married, single. You could be 70 years old and start something. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that Colonel Sanders, the, the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken, didn't actually start KFC until he was much older. I want to say somewhere in his 60s or 70s. So there's never a point in your life where you should say, I'm too old. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough money. I mean, you heard what Jason and Michelle said today. They were concerned about money. They didn't have a lot of money. And what did they do? Well, they learned on their own. Michelle learned how to create a website, learned coding, and went out and did it. And it was just an investment of their time. So a ton of lessons that we've learned today. I greatly appreciate the time that they've spent with us. Um, really, I encourage you to check out their story. Go to check out their website. The, the pillows are, are actually great, and I know because my wife had used pillows that were, were not um, the Twinsy. They were pillows, this was a while ago before this company was even invented um, or created, that just didn't hold up. So this is a great product manufactured in the U.S. Can't say enough about them and about the product, so I encourage you to check that out. Uh, I also want to remind you to go to utlradio.com and check out all of the new features that we have on the site. Uh, there is a download link to the app, which uh, is, is a great service because it allows you to ask legal questions. It allows you to see videos and, and listen to the broadcasts live, uh, to download them later. You know, there's just there's so much information. You can find statutes of limitations for particular states. There's also um, download links to free products and stuff. So check out utlradio.com to get the app, which is available on the Android market and in the App Store. And, you know, peruse utlradio.com because there's a lot of content there. We are constantly building and evolving and growing the site so that there's more information for you. In fact, there is a link now on the homepage. It is a free guide. It's the top 10 legal writing tips for non-lawyers. So if you find yourself in a situation where you need to write a legal type document, whether it's a letter to your neighbor who is doing something on your property that you don't like and you want to put them on notice, or you're representing yourself in court, you're going to want to know some of these tips. So check it out. It's free. Uh, download it right from the homepage, the top 10 
legal writing tips for non-lawyers. That's on utlradio.com. We have a, a great, great uh, number of guests coming up. We're really excited. We've got um, Eric Banholtz from, from Beard Brand, who was also a uh, participant on Shark Tank. We have Rich Gasparri coming up in September. Just so many people that we can learn from, and I'm very excited to have them on the show. Stay tuned for that, and check out utlradio.com because we, we put up the schedule and the, the upcoming guests. You can access some of the older shows. Um, you can stream things live from the site. So there's just a ton to do on the site. I want to thank you, too, for watching, subscribing, for uh, the comments that we've received lately, for all the new subscribers on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Thank you so much. I hope that you get as much from these interviews as I do and uh, want to hear from you. I want your feedback. The way we talked about today, the way that Michelle and Jason want feedback, I'd like your feedback too. Let me know what you think of the show, what you think of the topics, what else you'd like to see, what we could do to make this show better for you. So I want to encourage you to leave comments, to contact us. All of our contact information and links to our social media pages are available at utlradio.com. That's going to do it for today. Again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, lawpunningsglobal.com. Check them out and enroll in one of their certificate courses. If you're an entrepreneur, you could get a, a tremendous wealth of experience and knowledge by using something like Law Pundit's online courses. And if you're going to be doing something international, check out the Certified International Business Law Analyst Certification Program. So thanks to them again for sponsoring today's show. That's going to do it. We will be back on Monday with Week in Review, myself and Bob Hughes. Don't forget to check out the shows that aired this week. And uh, in particular, we had a great show yesterday on a different note. And we talked about music industry and what young musicians can learn. Uh, we talked about Taylor Swift and what a great model she is, not just as a musician, but as a business person. So check out that show. We also had a, 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 le a legal and business Q&A live this week. Uh, so check out the shows. Leave some feedback and comments. And I will see you next week. Remember that there's power in understanding the law.